In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Let us take uh, today's Gospel from uh, Friday the 13th, uh, which is from Saint Luke and tells us, well, some dramatic uh, words of our Lord about the end times. Jesus said to his disciples, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up until the day Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Similarly, as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building on the day when Lot left Sodom, fire and brimstone rained from the sky and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day of the Son of Man when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, someone who is on the housetop and whose belongings are in the house must not go down and get them. So don't go and get your phone. Forget it. <laughs> and likewise, one who's in the field must not return to what was left behind. Remember the wife of Lot. She turned into a pillar of salt. She, she looked. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses it will save it. I tell you, on that night, there will be two people in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding meal together. One will be taken, the other left. They said to him in reply, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the body is, there also the vultures will gather. Wow. So these words of, are clearly, well, they're words of prophecy about the coming of the, uh, of the Son of Man, the second coming. He already came once in a hidden way as a little child and was barely recognized but he will come again. And this time there will be no choice. Everybody will, it will be obvious. It will be like, everybody will be, so to speak, overtaken. Now, prophecy, we know, involves different levels. It has lots of symbolism. It has a kind of terminology all of its own. It has a, what we call a kind of a chiaroscuro. There's things that are very clear like the second coming, the Son of Man, Jesus is going to come again, but there are darker things that are not clear. Chiaroscuro, dark and light. Also dark and light in the sense that are very good things that he's going to come, but also, well, judgment. So, it gives us, to a certain degree, insights about future events, but the very concrete details only 
will become clear when they actually occur, when they actually happen. Right now we can't say it's going to be exactly like this. And Well, our Lord also says fairly clearly that it will be sudden and unexpected. And it will catch many people unprepared. They won't be ready for it. Like, so that's why he gives the example of Noah. Most people had no clue. They thought, what's he doing? He's building this ark. It was like... What are you doing? You know, everything's fine. Look, there's great weather. The forecast is great. We're going to the beach. What do you? What's your problem? But Lot, also, when he went uh, into Sodom, a place that was steeped in hedonism, people didn't expect uh, fire and brimstone. These are all images and layers of images that refer to the second coming that will make public or clarify what was already known or made known in the particular judgment, that is, what we will each have to face at the moment of death. So that's also divine truth or uh, truth of our faith, and that is that in the moment of our death, bang, in that instant, we will stand in front of God in a particular judgment. And just the way our Lord speaks about it underlines the urgency of being ready. That we have to kind of scrutinize our, our own conduct because he will come when we least expect it. And so there, there's a particular judgment the church teaches that, that the moment you die, you'll just be, like, your life will be good you have done and normally if you have lived a good life it'll be just clear you've gone to confession often it's just going to be way clear and come to the joy of your master but but if there's there's a lot of stuff that you didn't confess a lot of stuff well maybe you have to do some purification maybe there had to be some clarification of all that it'll take longer it'll just like it's like a like a long court case you know just just take longer but everything will come clear. That's the particular judgment in front of God. But why will there be a general judgment? Why should there be two judgments? Well, the, the general judgment will happen at the second coming, where everything will be made clear. It's kind of, um, I suppose you could say, it's a way of explaining publicly why everything took place the way it did. Because each person will be judged personally in the particular judgment and they will know about themselves and they will either go to God or, or to purgatory where they will be purified before going to God or they will, they will, be, they will be condemned because they, they chose clearly not to go to heaven. They will not be condemned in the sense that God refuses them. Is that they, it'll clearly show that their whole life they refuse to go to heaven. But, but there will be people that we think are good people, and then in and then in the public, in the public judgment, we will see that hey, this this person was a good person, and we'll see that they're condemned, or or I don't know, yeah, they're condemned. Or a bad person is not condemned and goes to heaven. 
hey, what about this person? This person was really bad. They did these things, these things. And maybe we judged them a lot. Well, public public uh, judgment, the, this, you know, everything will be made exactly clear why this person is going to heaven and why this person is is not. Maybe there are people that we thought were wonderful and great people and honest and good and generous, but in fact, well, they weren't as good as all that. And there we will see why. And of course, we remember, it'll be totally just. Nobody will be able to game the system, right? So, as we think of these last truths, which is, which is a feature of the month of November, we, we must not be afraid. Because God is a just God, He's a loving God. And we have to let all these events of our life, in particular now, the events that we are living in now, these times... They're not necessarily the end times, but there are particular times, special times, because of, largely because of the pandemic and the upheaval in the world. And uh, it's really an invitation, a challenge for us, for you and me, to be better. And we can ask ourselves, well, Lord, why did you allow for this pandemic? which so many people have been lost, all the effects on the economy and all the, on the lives of so many people, the, just the, the numerous effects that it has had. In fact, now we're hearing some people saying that get ready for a long and cold winter, it's getting worse, the numbers are going up, Cedarcrest is closed, uh, the Manoir is closed, they're saying many people are going to die, Others are saying that we have no, no assurance of having an effective vaccine. It's going to take several more years, so hunger down, get ready. Well, interesting people said similar things about World War I, which had inflamed so many passions, but right after World War I in 1918 to 1919, there was the influenza pandemic called the Spanish flu, and it killed between 20 and 40 million people. 20 and 40 million people. And it is considered the most devastating pandemic in record recorded in history. Before that, there was the, the Black Plague in the 14th century, which was also a global disaster. And they were much less equipped to face them. Black Plague, they didn't quite understand what, what it was exactly. Obviously, from a medical point of view, they were much less prepared. And as a result, the, the people who had the most means, in the case of the Black Plague, they would flee to the mountains, they would go to their cottages or their, their castles, and they managed to survive. But the good people, the good priests, the religious, they attended to the sick, they attended to those who needed their help, and those ones died. And those, the, the, the ones that were morally good and heroic and, and sound and good and holy people, all those people died. Whereas the kind of more, well, mediocre people, they made sure that they protected themselves, they took off and they survived. So the good died and the bad survived. 
and that left a whole generation. Some people actually blame the whole reformation on all that generation of people that survived, that were kind of lower quality, let's say. So what should be our attitude with this pandemic? Especially when we hear lots of news about it, scary things. What should be our attitude this time? Well, I can cite as an example this priest or this brother, Brother Lawrence, in the 17th century. He was a Carmelite brother who lived in Lorraine in France. And he wrote a famous treatise called The Practice of the Presence of God. He was a young man that came from a very, very poor family in the 17th century. And he received, when he was quite young, around the age of 18 or so, a singular grace. Because on that year, I think it was 1666, he received a very special grace because he was outside, it was winter, and he wasn't particularly pious, he was a good man and stuff, but he, I mean, yeah, he prayed, I guess. But, uh, but he saw a large tree in the winter completely, completely stripped of its leaves. And it's that, as he saw that tree stripped of its leaves, barren, he banged, he received a massive grace from God. God said, made him see, you see that tree completely barren? Well, in just a few months, it's going to be flowering with fruit and beautiful to the eyes. And he suddenly received a deep sense of God's powerful providence in his life. And how providence sort of would, would guide his life and this sense of God's providence would never efface itself or never erase itself from his soul. And it enkindled in him a great love of God, a great desire to pray, which increased throughout uh, his, whole, his whole life. He came to understand, just by looking at that tree, that anything good that happens and anything bad that happens is a challenge or an occasion for making us better. We have to see anything bad, anything hard, any suffering, that's an occasion for me to be better. And certainly this has to be the case with the pandemic. Lord, I have to be better. And uh, in particular, what does it have to be better in me? What has to improve? I would say one thing that really has to improve in me is empathy. The ability to empathize with others, to feel the pain of others, to care about them. And it's true, we don't always understand why the Lord allows these things. In the Christian tradition from St. Augustine, St. Thomas, we are told that God is clearly told that God is not the cause of evil, but it allows it to bring about a greater good. He allows evil, bad things, suffering, pain. He allows it to bring about a greater, greater good. And this is a, this is a, a reasonable explanation, but it's true. It doesn't always leave people totally satisfied. 
Some people expect the good to triumph and uh, therefore they affirm their hope in the existence of, of a God who will restore it. But for the materialists, for the secularists, for the atheists, well, no great expectations are possible. There's no possibility even for them of a fair trial from God. There's no real evil to heal. There's just, well, unfortunate events. For them, the pandemic is an unfortunate event. Not something that can actually be an occasion for us to be better. Of course, God has a complete view of the world. He sees the Black Plague, he sees the World War I, he sees everything, in, you could say, in one shot. He has a, and only he can truly know the good and the evil and uh, you know, what leads to salvation, in other words, and what hinders it. Only God can know that. What events lead to salvation? What events hinder it? Actually, he's going to hinder those events that are going to... He's going to, he's going to stop events that will hinder salvation. But what we have to do is in the presence of God, Lord, I want to become a better person, both in the larger schemes and in the smaller uh, events of my life. Meaning to acquire the, the qualities that I never tried to acquire so that I become more resilient. And I will learn to re-emphasize the, the greater importance of meaning in my life. And prayer is, of course, very important in this because uh, it helps us to acknowledge, prayer does, our status as creatures before the Creator from whom we have received our life. We have received our air, the air we breathe, the earth that we live on, We've received that from the Creator. Perhaps, as we consider this, a good thing for us to do would be to consider how better we can serve. Serve. How can I serve? The first task of being a better version of myself is not so much in insisting on a form of perfectionism or seeing the little imperfections in my life as kind of threats to my integrity. You can have imperfections, no problem. It's okay. But maybe, maybe I can find ways to serve more. I read about the, this musician whom maybe you have heard of, a singer, songwriter, his name is Andy Grammer. American songwriter who, who himself went through suffering and has dedicated himself to writing songs for people who have suffered. He has gone to homeless shelters, he has gone to hospitals, uh, he gives them, he, in fact he, he likes to go with his friends, they, they go there, they go to a homeless shelter, they, they give them proper food and, and, and he goes with like people to, to give them a, a good you know, makeover, a, a good uh, haircut, and good food, nice, nice clothing. And 
he asks them something about their life, how they suffered, or in some way, something important. And he, and he writes a song about what story they recount. And he always says that he, he suffered because he lost his mother when he was 20 years old. And, uh, and he, 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 this was a tragic moment for his life, and he really wanted to trans, transform this an occasion to be a better version of himself. And then when he would tell people, look, I, when I was uh, 20 years old, I lost my mother, and, uh, and then people would say, well, you know, actually, we just lost our child uh, who was uh, you know, one year old, and this was very difficult for us. And, and he saw that there were many cases of that, like this couple he knew that had a child that, that died, and it was a dark period, but now they started getting calls from the hospital so that they could go and help other couples who had lost a child. And they would comfort them and empathize with them. And suddenly this tragedy that had suffered, they had suffered had become an occasion for them to be a better version of themselves, which they presumably would not have been able to do. How can I serve? Like he, he recounts how, how one day he was in a Starbucks writing a song and he was trying to come up with a good song and, and as he was sitting there, he saw a couple, somewhat elderly couple, and he, the lady reminded him of his mother. And he thought, well, this lady reminds me of my mother. She acts like her, she kind of looks a little bit and he thought, well, I'll just, well, that's nice, isn't that nice? But instead he said, you know, I'm going to go and tell her that, that almost, almost like thanking her for reminding him of his mother. And uh, he went up to her and he interrupted and said, excuse me, but, uh, you know, I just wanted to tell me, tell you, you really made my day today because as I looked upon you, I, you know, I lost my mother when I was 20 years old and I was just looking at you and you remind me of my mother. And she looks at him and she says, you know, I just lost my son a few months ago. You know? And it was like a moment of, of uh, you know, weeping and they actually, with a complete stranger, they embraced and were weeping there. And he had given her that, and she had given him this. And it was like a convergence of, uh, of uh, you know, empathy, I guess you could call it. All that in the middle of a Starbucks, right? In, in the secular world of Starbucks, with people with blue hair and, uh, and uh, funny tattoos, right? And so we are asked to give of ourselves during this time. And uh, perhaps cheerfulness and optimism, which this fellow, Andy Grammer, insists on being. He insists on always being an optimist. Well, cheerfulness and optimism is really the effect of the fullness of life, the fullness of meaning in life. And that does include uh, suffering. And somebody who has a truly full life does not need to crave after elements that will give him the semblance of cheerfulness. He can, or she can have a hard time, she can suffer, but if she has a whole life, she can, 
a full life, she could find the love of God there. And these are the attitudes that sustain a society that no longer knows how to pray, that no longer knows how to find meaning in hardship or difficulty or contradiction. Maybe that's why we have, well, become so polarized, because we, don't, we can't see the meaning in being kind to somebody who has a very different opinion or different idea. Those attitudes of serving others, of empathy, really arise from solidarity and love, um, where we recognize others as brothers and sisters. And this in itself is already, already prayer. This is what the Christian uh, tradition invites us to do. So, well, try to see how you can um, live that full life by little acts of service, concrete acts of service. Don't leave it too vague or too general. And see how you can give of yourself and rise above that suffering that you may have experienced at one time or another so that you can empathize with others, give of yourself, and, uh, and also, of course, you know, see all this from the perspective of that, of that tree that is in the winter, but that eventually will be in full bloom again. And that's the tree of God's providence. God acts in his providence because he knows and loves us and wants our good. Eh? All things work out for the good of those who love him. Let us ask our, our Blessed Mother to help us uh, so, so that we can really be of service to others. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.